so they so they called me in and I did my callback and I just joked around with them and I left that night and thought if they don't hire me I'm going to fucking kill them. Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast. My name is Eric Better. How are you guys doing, man? Uh, thanks for coming to play with us. Uh, get yourself comfortable. We got a fun chat. We got a fun chat. I mean, I enjoy talking to everybody that we talk to, but some people, you know, uh, it, it, it's just going to be a good time. And that describes the voice you heard up front. Composer, singer, writer, just, just all-around arts person, Amy Engelhart. Uh, Amy's done some remarkable work. She's worked with some remarkable people, and dear God, she is a funny human being. And it was just a pleasure to talk to her. I've, I've admired her work for so long. Uh, she's done a few shows with us. She was a featured composer at our uh, presently on hiatus, as I like to say, uh, No Name Presents the Uptown Cabaret series, uh, which we are in talks to revive. And uh, uh, no, if you ever get a chance to see her perform or see any of her work, uh, by all means, uh, don't even excuse yourself to run past people, just go. Uh, so we'll get to the conversation with Amy in a minute. Um, you know, I, I, I am a blind guy uh, of a certain age. I'm 61 now. And, um, you know, I this may sound weird, but trust me, this shit is real. Um, you know, I use a, a, what they call a guide cane. It's a walking stick uh, when I'm out and about. Um, you know, it... it, it Let's me know what I'm about to walk into or whatever. You know, it's a way of uh, uh, trying to give myself a sense of what, what lies ahead when I'm walking since I can't see what what's ahead when I'm walking. And um, But you would be surprised. This is real. Uh, people just see the stick, see a cane, and immediately they think, oh, that poor old man, he can't walk. So I can walk. I can run. I can dance. I'd still be on the basketball court if I could see where the fuck I was going. Um... You know, uh, I'm not oblivious to the fact that I, I'm, I'm getting older, but it, I've been, time had been kind to me physically. No, I'm not ready for the hip replacement yet. But here's what happened the other day. I'm walking down the, the, the stairs in my building and I'm carrying some recyclables to take out. Uh, and I've done this, you know, every day for like 30 years. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I was kind of rushing downstairs. They had a, a food order on the way as well. And um, I, I, you know, I guess I was just distracted and I slipped. Uh, I, I thought I was at the bottom of the staircase. Apparently, I was a couple of steps shy of that. And I went flying. I was actually airborne for a brief second. Uh, and my entire body weight landed on my left hip. Uh, no, actually, to be specific, my left butt. My left buttocks. Uh... And I was immediately in intense pain. Uh, and, and landing on my left buttocks uh, shot some pain through my lower right back. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm all right now, but I, I was really concerned at that point. I really thought I had I'd totally fucked up something. Uh, and, and so I'm in pain. But my, my first thought is not, oh, I maybe I've just paralyzed myself and I won't be able to get up and walk. No, my first thought was like, oh, fuck. Now, people are going to look at me and think, oh, old guy injury, walking with the cane, 
No, it's a blind guy injury, but you can't explain that to people. They don't know. You know you didn't see. Anyway, so, so it was really bothering me because, like, now when I'm walking around with the stick and limping and whatever, um, and it, it, just, it, it just it bothered the fuck out of me. Um, but, you know, you go on. It, it, it turned out in a few days I was doing a lot better, but I did not leave the house for a couple of days and just laid down there, tried not to move because breathing kind of hurt. Uh, plus, I was in a weird position of having gone back upstairs and my my butt is now really swollen. Um, and I've never been in a position of having a, a swollen butt before. And that's also something you don't want to have to go around explaining uh, a couple of days later, at, at the gym with with my buddy Jeff, and you know Jeff like Jeff's a great guy, but he likes to fuck with people. And 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 as we're getting ready to, I'm getting ready to get off the uh, the treadmill, and I'm, I'm I'm a little sore, and I'm kind of complaining. And he says, and he says very just loudly enough for everybody here. Sorry, the first your first experience with anal sex didn't work out so well friends that's what they do for you so anyway so i but i was concerned when it first happened because two days from there i was supposed to go out with some friends and on that day um it, you know we we've done this show uh uptown in a, in a community bookshop for for over a decade and uh several years ago some some 12 year olds came to the show and we were kind of freaked out uh because it's an adult show and they, they there was no they should not have been there um I, Long story short, they kept coming back for years, and they've actually grown up to be wonderful adults and and good people. But one of them was turning twenty one, and we had said we were going to take him out. The crew of us from No Name was going to take him out, and I'd like I can't not go to this thing. So I was hoping I would heal enough in, in time to go. And I'm thinking about you know being in pain. I got a swollen ass. And I'm trying not to yelp in pain every step I take. Uh, and we're going to take this guy out. And uh, it was actually the day after he turned 21. So get in, in the car with, with him and, and another uh, of his pals um, who also just turned 21. And we're talking. And I said, so how did last night go? How, how, how did the birthday turn out? I said, I, ho I hope... Uh, you know, I hope you're not planning to do whatever you did last night tonight because I, I, I don't have enough money for bail. Ha 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 ha. That was my little joke, right? Because I'm a comic, so I, I, I do high class stuff like that. And his buddy looks at him and said, oh, did you tell him? Oh, shit. Had no idea that some shit had gone down. Uh, so he starts to tell me the story and he and his buddies went out to drink because now he can drink legally. I'm sure that was probably the first time he ever had a beverage. Um, but anyway, so, so they hung out and apparently they did what you do when you're 21, right? You know, it, it had, you know, they celebrated. Let's just put it that way. They celebrated and apparently he, he celebrated, uh, 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 actively. Um, and afterwards he was feeling a little worse for, for the wear and he fell and he hit his head and wound up having to go to the emergency room. Uh, and he's fine. He's fine. It was just, you know, again, it's what happens, you know. And 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 uh, so he was saying he was there through the middle of the night and he's all there or whatever. And like, dude, it, you know, this is like four o'clock in the afternoon and it was 
you know, probably less than 12 hours since he left the emergency room for head injury. Um, and I said, it, dude, you okay? Is it? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm ready to go. My friends, that is what it means to be 21. And all I could think of was, wait till you're a 61-year-old blind guy and you got to explain a swollen ass. <sighs> we had a great time. It was a wonderful time. And uh, I, I, I don't want to call him out because I've just told kind of an embarrassing story on him. But uh, happy birthday, buddy. Uh, always always good to see you in the house. So, uh, all right. I've now shared and overshared way too much. Uh, but if you're still listening, thank you for still listening. We're going to get to a great, fun, uh, very very uh, engaging conversation with Amy Engelhart in just a minute. But first, <laughs> say it with me. Put your hand on the device stand. Hold your other hand up in the air and say, get away to Green Bay. That's right, the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast in a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Stieber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. I'm happy to say that uh, I walked outside this morning and and my eyes started to tear because it's that temperature finally. And <laughs> when I I know that it's like yes, <laughs> we will not be using the air conditioning. <laughs> after today hopefully well you 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 do the you're bi-coastal right? right yeah so i mean like do you lose your mind with that no i love it okay but i, <laughs> but I, I didn't mean it and i don't mean the lifestyle or whatever but just in terms of the the temperatures thing or whatever uh no i love it i much prefer it here oh okay so yes. <laughs> since i grew up with this and uh i made a decision got about 15 years ago that I will never miss October. I have to be there. Oh, nice. It's, nice. it's not negotiable anymore. <laughs> uh, it, it, so, so where, where did you grow up? I mean, here, I generally I get, but, uh, New Jersey. What part of New Jersey? In Edison, which is pretty much like where the waistline of New Jersey is. And you can spell that either way. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's funny. Cause I realized, 
I, what a moron I am. I, I, I said, what part of Jersey? And I really, I'm that sort of snotty New Yorker that's like, Jersey is just one generic place that is not New York. No, I understand. Uh, so I don't I know. Understand. I don't know a lot of distinctions other than I kind of know where Jersey City is and it gets, you know, kind of blurry after that. That's perfectly okay. You shouldn't go to New Jersey unless you absolutely have to. Um, <laughs> uh, my brother used to tell a story about um, a teacher he had who mm. moved to New Jersey from somewhere pretty. And um, they got off the plane in Newark and they had uh, rented a car for some, I, I, I'm not sure what the circumstances were, but something smelled so bad that he pulled over. Um, but it was just Bayonne. It was just, you know, people were like, yeah, get used to it. Um, and I grew up uh, in New Jersey in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, right when all of the radon and toxic dump stuff was starting. So um, I'd like to say that um, I guess I've been somewhat invincible since I grew up next to, you know, may maybe a Spider-Man thing happened to me. <laughs> maybe that's why I, to this day, have not, I have to knock on something wood first. Excuse me. That's okay. I don't know what's wood do what here. You do. I, I haven't do gotten some COVID here yet. With paper do. I, I think that's why, because I grew up next to you know probably a radon dump. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, it, in you're talking right now, I finally made a connection I've never made. Now, uh, my sister, for for reasons I guess she understands, and I, I wouldn't knock her. I'm not knowledgeable enough, but kind of uh, became very enamored of Bayonne as a place to go to. <laughs> no, wait, no. Here's the connection I just made. When you were talking about the smell, my sister has ever since she got out of Washington Heights. Uh, and moved out on her own, has lived in Staten Island, and it all makes sense to me now. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, did we... Here's the thing. We used to... Uh, and here, did you hear that my, my jersey just snuck, snuck in? I went, here's the thing! Because um, that happens when I'm here. Otherwise, you can't tell where I'm from. Um, when I grew up... Thankfully, she didn't listen to the podcast. I'm good. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Um, when I grew up, they still had the blue laws, so you couldn't in New York state. So you couldn't sell clothing for some reason or, and other goods on Sundays. Oh, so, that's right. yeah. That's right. And of course this was the, the era of mall explosion. It was, you know, like the mall was the temple of worship. Yeah. And so we used to laugh because the outer bridge crossing 440 uh, comes into central New Jersey, not far from where I, I lived. Mm. And I lived between Woodbridge center and Menlo park mall, which were two of the hugest, malls. so and, and among the first big ones, right? Yes. I mean, in that area anyway. Yes. Yeah, so we used to joke about all the uh, the Staten Islanders who would come in on the, on the weekends. <laughs> and, you know, looking back, if you're from New Jersey and you're making fun of Staten Island... <laughs> Well, yeah. I, What's the opposite of check your privilege? You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and now, of course, I live in Los Angeles, so you know that's another joke in itself. Well, you know, I, I think I think we've guaranteed that neither of us should ever be in a position where we will have to move to Staten Island or back to Jersey because that uh, we've just made a lot of enemies. Jesus P. Christ. I'm no. kidding. No one's listening. Um, <laughs> oh, great. I'm so glad I came all the way up to Washington Heights when no one is listening. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping we can break that cycle by getting people like you on oh, here. Oh, well played, Eric. Well played. <laughs> uh, you know, I do what I can on a limited budget. So 
Here, so, so, all right. So you're growing up in Jersey uh, all the time. Right, I mean, when when you got yeah. to New York, that was uh, your choice. It wasn't a family move. No. Okay. Um, no, I was a bridge and tunnel kid uh, growing up. I um, I was in New York constantly on the weekends as a teenager, taking classes at mm. HB what Studios kind of classes? and oh, okay, the Playhouse. You know, I had my little teen theater geek. Um, like like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, Scooby Gang of you know theater geeks. So I would be here mm. at least every Saturday, um, and I took t- classes at HB over the weekends, and I was constantly at the theater. And I was also a regional theater baby. I my my mother and I we had subscriptions to George Street, and um, so as a result, I'm I turned into a complete theater snob. So, so you, as a kid, the, the family, or at least you and your mom, went to the theater a lot? Uh, yeah, and I did. I did community theater at night constantly. And, of course, New Jersey, um, even though it is just this blob um, to you that is not New York, um, New Jersey <laughs> and the tri-state area in general outside of New York City are rife with ex New York professionals. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like or whatever. current New York professionals yes. to do the commute. Completely true. So a lot of people who opted out of New York or who did their, you know, tours or whatever they were going to do and then decided, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And Mm -hmm. as you may remember, New York was a pit in the 80s um, and 70s. Um, So they moved out of the city. So even though community theater, quote unquote, gets a bad rap and sometimes deservedly so – in a place like outside of New York, directly outside of New York, it's it's a little bit different, or at least yeah. I'd like to tell myself that. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you might be working with these people who just did the first national tour of whatever, and mm-hmm. I did. Um, so that was my my deal, was I was... Uh, I, I I went to a small school, so I didn't have a... We didn't really have a drama department or much of a music program, so I was doing community theater constantly at night as a teen. Which bug did you get first, music or acting, or did it happen simultaneously? It all happened together. Um, I used to force my brother to do variety shows for our babysitters <laughs> in our living room. How, how old are we talking? Oh, gosh. Mm, probably from, well, it has to be when he was old enough to, you know, be a good performer he's and take baby? direction. Um, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's <laughs> Carrie is laughing. Um, uh He's three years younger than me, so I'd say... Okay, prob- only sibling? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, single parent household. Mm-hmm. And I'd say probably from when he was about eight on, so I would have been 11. Okay. And, you know, many cassette tape recorded, you know, show themes. And, of course, this was the era of Donnie and Marie and Sonny and Cher and, and the big variety show era. So that, that so of course, So he had was- to be Donnie or Sonny? Yes. Yes. And how did he feel about that? Oh, he was fine with it. Oh, um, okay. As long yeah. as there wasn't like a baseball game on or. Did he get the bug like you? No. <laughs> oh, so you just you you just did older sibling uh, pressure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you may have noticed that I'm not um, I'm not an introvert. <laughs> so. Well, I, I I was appreciating that you seem to have come out of your shell. Yeah. <laughs> think I was born shellless. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah. So, um, and I also played the piano. I did, was taking, did you have one or did you have yeah. to seek it out? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had an old Schoninger upright. It was 
beige. I've never seen, was oh, I've rarely seen a beige piano, like a light wood color, like a mm. really light color. And um, yeah, because, you know, back back then people had pianos in their homes. Well, it's funny that I grew up with a piano in my home, and I'm not old enough to remember this, but apparently... Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking, but what, what's like the, the gold standard for, for pianos? Uh, Steinway? Steinway, yes. Apparently, before my memory begins, uh, we had a Steinway, and uh, it was replaced by a Schoninger when my dad's mother came to live with us and insisted on bringing her piano, uh, and my mother never got happy about that. Can you imagine? I mean, now people being... Obsessed with you know a certain kind of piano. I mean, it's and I don't I don't think I've ever seen a Schoninger af- outside of well, that, my home I, past you know the seventies. Well, that, that's why that's why I, I, I my my ears such as they are pricked up when when you said that because I didn't wouldn't have even remembered the name. I just remembered it was officially I think thought of as not a Steinway, um, and I don't know if I've ever heard the word Schoninger. Other, outside of seeing it in my living room when I was growing up, I don't until think I have moment. either. So, uh, so thank you for for <laughs> taking me back to a sort of not bad, but just weird part of my childhood. Well, it certainly was that for me. <laughs> um, point being, you had a piano, you could get to work. Oh yeah, um, and lessons, a, I presume. Yeah, lessons, but I was really bad um, at doing the assignments, and in fact, I. Uh, once I could read music, I was kind of off and running. So I would just, you know, pour through books and and I would play what I wanted to play. And I probably started writing at like 14. Mm. And, um, and what kind of stuff were you writing? I was writing pop stuff, you know. Um, what do you I, listen to? Who are your people? What do you listen to? Um, well, I grew up listening to a very wide variety of stuff because I was exposed to all this theater stuff and theater classics. Um it could be anything from big band. I used to listen to WNEW and at night uh, to classical to um, to pop. You know, I mean, before then, of course, when the eighties hit, you you could not you could not resist pop. Um, but um, you were not allowed. It was no, against the law. No, they, they would have gotten you. No, I I listened to pretty much everything, and um, my mother had a collection, an album collection that I know completely influenced how my brain turned out. And mm. it was things like Carol King, Elton John, Billy Joel Piano Man, you know, the, the, the singer songwriter, the singer songwriter, Jim James Croce. Taylor? Uh, yes, James Taylor, Jim Croce. Even Cat Stevens. I think we had tea for the Chiller Man. Um, <laughs> My sister had that to this day. It's like I have nothing against Cat Stevens, but it, it's hard for me to listen to some of that stuff. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Just like, well, knowing what happened to him, too. Uh, well, I mean, you on. know. Yeah. There's a journey. Yeah, really. But uh, but sorry. Right. So this is what, what you're you're listening to, and uh, uh, and now you're writing music. Um, did did you – I know that, that that's an, an – early age to have any, but did you have like specific things you, you were targeting? You wanted to be on Broadway or? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you that I was supposed to be Annie. That's just. <laughs> that makes sense. That That's pretty academic, I think. Yeah. That, that should just be assumed. Um, <laughs> as was the case for any young girl between, let's say eight and 14. Or, um, or older if you thought you could pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm only three and a half years old. Um, um, yes, and I like to. I I <laughs> I actually went to the replacement call for Annie once mm-hmm. they, you know, they were all getting older, and it was. And I don't know if if you will remember this, but maybe some people who are our age, which shall not be mentioned. <laughs> um, I th- I want to say if Annie was seventy seven, um, the replacement call must have been. 78 79 or something mm-hmm. um and you know i was i would come in for things on backstage and i would read the trades and blah 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 uh, and i wished my mother was more of a stage mother but that's an entirely different discussion okay they had an open call and i later learned i know it's crazy um i later learned that's cuz they had no idea you know yeah. that how what would happen and the line stretched for blocks. Oh, my. So if you didn't get there at, you know, 6 in the morning or camp out, as I think people did, yeah. you didn't get in. And it, the line was got so disruly that the, and this was in the New York Times, that the the police were called in on horseback to kind of corral. <laughs> I know, to it's, corral. It settled, I know. It settled down the unruly 10-year-old who <laughs> yeah. were beating the shit out of each other. Yes, yes. Well, mainly the mothers beating the shit out of oh, the other Oh, okay. It, I think the other is more interesting, but that makes more sense. Yeah. And and it was uh, <laughs> it was not summer. I, I, I have a vague recollection of of, of, of the, uh, you know, the, the long lines. I don't oh my God. recall the So police. ridiculous. So I didn't even get in. I mean, I literally, yeah. I think we moved one block during the thing, and and that was that. And I, I never, I never went back. Um, so, 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 if I, if I can walk you back for a second, you apparently rebounded from the from the devastating blow of of, of not getting to audition for Annie. Did uh, I? What did, did you do I? after that? Look at me. Come, no. I, all right, I want I want to point out what you just said. You just said to the blind guy, "Look at me." All right, Gary, we're done. We're now, done. This is it. I, I'm a, well. Can I also mention that I'm an idiot? Is that is it too late to? <laughs> well, you know that's why we're friends. So uh, <laughs> we understand idiot. each other. <laughs> She's like, we're friends. Where, who 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 gave you this misinformation? I was misinformed. Listen, David. <laughs> uh oh. <uh-oh. laughs> And then it got ugly. And scene. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, so, but you kept going, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I knew I was a freak. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're all freaks to some extent, but, uh, but, um, but, but yeah. Some, some of us, it's a little <laughs> bit more obvious. You don't have to do so much digging. No. Um, no, I didn't fit into the Annie box. I went to Syracuse for, uh, for theater mm-hmm. and, um, had pretty much a suck ass time, and was never cast in anything. Um, oh wow! No, it, it you know it just makes it, me it, laugh it, now. Like a, a big, <laughs> uh, big department there. Not at the time. Um, it was it was great. It still is one of the top rated schools for theater and musical theater, and they have this great relationship with Syracuse Stage. But um, no, no one knew what to do with me. Um, but that includes me. You know. Um, the, I wouldn't say I was still Miss Hannigan, but I, I was still like the the weirdo who didn't fit into any box. I mean, mm-hmm. I looked like an ingenue um, or the, you know, the wacky best friend, but I didn't sound that way. I didn't sing that way. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> and I thought I was this serious actress, too, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And 
it wasn't until my senior. That. Don't say yourself short. Well, I'm not saying that I can't act. I'm saying that I had a different view of myself, and I understood. I, I saw myself. You know, I was, I was, I was actually 17 when I went to college. I I skipped my senior year, and I I thought I was this you know hot toxic ball of. Um, doomed smartass, and um, but who was a very serious actress, um, and take the world by storm. Mm. <laughs> and in Syracuse, they don't know what's coming. Well, in Syracuse, there's enough storms to compete with. Um, but yeah, I, I until I was in my senior year, n- no one knew what to do with me. And then this guy joined the faculty, who was a former Broadway conductor and um, was a resident conductor at Radio City for a while, and um, <clears throat> his name was Joe Klein, and he uh, basically turned my life around. Mm-hmm. And he saw what I was writing. I took one of his uh, writing for musical theater classes. Um, he saw what I was writing, and he said, um, excuse me, why aren't you doing this? And I said, well, I am doing it. It's just not. And he went, no, 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 no. Did you know you're a funny person, and why... Why isn't why aren't you doing this? And I had no good answer, but I was, of course, thrilled that someone finally let me in on my own secret. And um, <laughs> well, I love that phrasing, by the way. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. Yeah, my life turned around. Um, I actually stayed in the theater as a performer for another year, and then I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston oh. as a writer, arranger, um, songwriter, and uh, you have to declare a. An instrument, so I I went in as a vocal, um, as as a vocalist, and I got a scholarship. And um, Berkeley just took my my brain and set it on fire. It was a wonderful place to be, and I was one of the I, at twenty three. I was one of the twenty three, twenty two. I was one of the older students there, and there were almost no women still. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's very much different today. It it was it was an incredible experience, and. Uh, after Berkeley, I moved to Los Angeles because at the time you could still make a decent living as a songwriter. Not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, as you know, this whole AI thing, songwriters are like, hold my beer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, CDs hit and everything else hit. Uh, I did a series of job jobs. I met my husband, though, which was the most fabulous thing nice. about L.A. and continues to be and is pretty much the only reason I go back. And the cats. Um, but, yeah. I, but, you, but you listed them in the right order. So, I mean, meaning, <laughs> I hope he's meaning in order to maintain the marriage. Cat people oh, would say God otherwise. Sake. but Well, I, I, I am a cat person, but uh, now so is he, although he's also a furious dog person. Had I not met him, I never would have stayed and um, and he's from here, oddly enough. Oh, he's from Amherst, Massachusetts, and um, we have our own little kind of East Coast sanctuary in our house, and he's a brilliant goofball as well. Um, he also in the business? He's in the film business, and he also is an author. He's about to write his third book of short stories, and he nice. does um, – He's a storyteller, and he teaches and consults. He's won the moth a couple times, so there's a lot of storytelling in our in our household. And before we had actual live pets, we <laughs> that sounded really you had funny. Virtual pets? No, we had we have like AI a whole, pets. No stuffed animals. We have like a huge 
peanut gallery of stuffed animals who would, of course, perform stories for us and Shakespeare on a daily basis. And, You've grown you know, into such a mature person. Well, that's why I don't have kids, because um, <laughs> we get to be the kids for the rest of our lives. But, you know, how, like how can one live without the nightly moose report? I mean, come on. I'm told that-, that people do, but I don't. Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of ways to approach this life thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm told. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to find community in Los Angeles, so some people turn to stuffed animals. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out for you. No, no convictions, right? Nope. There you go. So, all right, so you meet, you fall in love, you're married, and, and, and you're working, like, job jobs there mostly, right? Yep. So, uh, what, what's, what's next? Yeah, that was obviously a, you solved some of those problems. Uh, yeah, those were that was about thirty years ago. Um, things I was singing occasional sessions, mm-hmm. and then things started to really take off when um, when I got into the Bobs in nineteen ninety eight. And the Bobs are for those of you who don't know, which will be probably everyone. <laughs> um, Mac Award winning, right? Um, Award winning, nominated for a Grammy in uh, 1980-something for uh, arranging, vocal arranging. Um, And then the category went away, and then it came back. Um, (laughs) They lost to some some obscure group called the Pointer Sisters. Did they ever do anything? No, I have no idea where they are now. (laughs) Never heard of them. Um, But uh, it was kind of amazing. you joined the Bobs? Yeah. How did that happen? I was in, I want to say I was in the right place at the right time. Um, I got put on a Christmas caroling quartet gig on the Seinfeld set, and the tenor was um, Joe Finetti, uh, who was in the Bobs because he knew the woman who booked these gigs, and it was, you know, kind of like a high-profile thing. And he started cracking the person who was the soprano up. And she was also the head of the group because she put herself on the gig and I was the alto. <laughs> and I thought, no, that's my job to crack <laughs> everyone up. Right. You know, and it was revealed that he was Joe Bob of the Bobs and they had just replaced the one woman in the quartet. Uh, it's always been one woman and three guys. And um, I, so I had just missed knowing that that was happening. And uh, the Bobs are kind of amazing uh, like I said, for those of you who do not know, and that's most people, um, kind of cult following group. The huge, I think their their peak time was eighties, nineties. Um, they uh, acapella before acapella was a thing nationally, way before the sing off. Ninety five percent original tunes, absolutely no rules. Uh, and when they did covers, it was stuff that no vocal group could or should attempt. <laughs> The arranging was not approached chorally. It was really kind of out. I would call it the NPR of acapella music. And they actually did projects for NPR. And um, boy, it was fun. Uh, So they were really funny, but not like wackadoodle, wacky funny, like smart funny. Mm -hmm. And I realized, having heard the Bobs, that, that this was kind of interesting that I met this person and, you know, it probably would be the perfect gig for me, even though, you know, you knock on every door you can. I was 20 something. Uh, no, I well, was in my show late biz, 20s. That makes you 26. That's right. I, I think I was in my late twenties or early thirties. And, um, 
I, uh, I I like to say that I knocked on this one with the back of my heel and it opened because that's what happened because you know, I was knocking on so many doors. I'm not like an acapella freak or anything like that. Right. Um, and so when the person who they had hired did not work out, um, about a year later, there were all sorts of issues, uh, he called me and said, will you audition for us? Because I, I had already hired him to sing some of my projects because, you know, that's how it all works. Yeah. And he, he cracked me up. He's seriously, he's one of the funniest people I have ever met. And so I did audition. I, I thought, oh, I probably don't have a shot at this because I, I knew the people they were calling in. Um, the first round they called in like 200 people and this time they called in 20 because they really wanted to vet people yeah. more carefully in terms of their commitments. It went so great and, and my callback was just me and them and... Uh, it felt like I was just sitting around the table with a bunch of goofball friends or older <laughs> brothers. And uh, so I left that, and I was doing a temp job at the po- at that time, <laughs> working at Transamerica Assurance Company processing death claims. And, yeah. Oh, it, I'm sorry. Are, are you a performer? <laughs> that Now it all makes sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was just, you know, paying the rent with Alex, and it was crazy. So they so they called me in and I did my callback and I just joked around with them and I left that night and thought if they don't hire me I'm going to fucking kill them because this was like, <laughs> I was there for 3 hours oh, man, and yeah. you know we ate pizza they asked me crazy questions they said okay well you know once if, once there's pizza involved they have to say yes thank you thank you um and in LA come on <laughs> if you're eating pizza there's you know um but uh it, we'd had these great conversations they said things to me like okay well if we played the Iowa State Fair and they asked you to wear a, a banner that said you know miss pig rinds 2003 <laughs> you know would you do it and i said well it's in the trunk so if <laughs> if you need me to go get it you know it was it was ridiculous it was so much fun so they did hire me so well you know in all fairness the lines were shorter than they were for the annie audition <laughs> oh, oh see, that was thank you that was a callback Give that, myself a high five oh there. Oh, my God. Aside from being a callback, no one has ever pointed that out. So uh, <laughs> so thank you. And I would I would venture to say that I was more well-prepared um, and better suited. And fewer fights. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't say they were less vicious. They were just, they were just a smaller number. <laughs> the ones that I'm prepared to talk about, yes. Um, so, yeah, I jumped on this moving train at the time. It was 1998 to... I left in 2014, and um, it was super great. Um, really challenging music. I became one of the primary writer, arrangers, mm-hmm. producers. Um, and um, when I got on board, we were doing 75 to 100 shows a year in the United States and in mm. Europe. We had agents in Munich and New York. And um, boy, it was fun. One- agents in Munich and New York? Yeah, like, because they had. How about Munich? Um, I don't know how it happened, but we had a huge fan base in Germany. Wow, very yeah. cool. They had set this up and they had toured there a lot in the 80s. And so... Well, you um, know, the, the Miss Pig Ryan thing probably was a, an influencing <laughs> factor. Well, we did play a slaughterhouse once that had been turned into a, a concert venue. So... Um, better than a concert venue to get turned into a slaughterhouse. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Those are the kind of places I've played. 
It's New York. Everything's a slaughterhouse. <laughs> well, well said. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it was great. Uh, you know, um, it, and it was my primary deal for for most of that time, uh-huh. until it wasn't. You know, things go up and down, and I just, you know, by the end, I I was ready. We both were on a point where it had was starting to peter out, and I wanted to do other things, mm-hmm. and I had started writing theater by that time. Um, I had gone back to the theater. Because the thing is, you know, if that's who you are, that's who you freaking are. And you can't, you never really escape that. And, I mean, even when I... It's better to recognize it than to go on trying to pretend, no, that's not, that's not there. That's not me. That's not, it's you. Well, that's, yes, it is you. And and I actually tried to do that because, which is ridiculous. You know, we all, you all look back on, on the paths that your life has taken. And for me, the big fork in my road, uh, the big fork you, was when I decided to go to Los Angeles instead of New York after Berkeley, because I thought, oh, I'm I'm funny and I'm great at, you know, this and that. I didn't want to be a, a performer anymore, but I thought that I could actually make a living. And that's why I moved to Los Angeles. And I tried to squash all of those things about me in order to write you know, what was popular. And it totally didn't work. And I have albums to prove it, <laughs> you know, and I still I still write that stuff. That's why the Bob's was, was so great for me because um, I didn't have to do that. And I could just be the crazy me that I am. And, um, you know, eventually I did do more sessions. I've sung on movies and TV and, and I, I actually... God bless my classical training from Syracuse because I still sing classical gigs. It's one of my nice. my side things. Um, I, I used to be both a soprano and an alto. Those notes are gone. You know, it. I'm a killer sight reader, so that really that really helps. Um, yeah. And um, if that's what you want to do, so yeah. Um, I know a lot of people in the singing community in. L.A., I don't write theater or do theater in Los Angeles. I do things outside of the city, um, like here. <laughs> Most of my projects come from here. And uh, so, yeah, it um, it was amazing. And um, I left in 2012, and I moved here. And I think that's when I met you, um, you and Alex, because I, I had won a Max Songwriting Award, and I was doing kind of cabaret stuff, and I still do um, cabaret stuff as a uh, composer, lyricist, you know, performer, and I write little material for other people, and I kind of do guest shots and stuff like that. I went to Columbia. I went to a grad program at Columbia for a year in arts administration because I was thinking I might actually move back here. Now that I had written lyrics for several productions, I'd been commissioned to do things um, in Seattle and um, just started to do some stuff here as well. So it was it got me back here, being at Columbia. Um, now was it was this after your your stint with the Bobs? Yeah, after the one. Yeah, I left literally. Uh, beginning of 2012. Was it just you leaving, or was it disbanding? No, I. I it was just me saying. Um, I got into Columbia. I knew that my life kind of needed a change. Mm-hmm. It had run its course, and um, by which time, like I said, I, I was I was writing. I was doing other projects, and I also had something on the back burner that I had started 
a, ser- a really big project, which was the musical Bastard Jones. And um, I had started that with a collaborator, and he had moved to New York, and we were getting some traction. So um, Columbia put me in New York, and I used my rainy day money to be here, and I got a bunch of scholarships, and I took out a very small loan. So yeah, and that's when I met you, because I, I started doing started performing my own stuff, which ranges from pop to ridiculous. And I met you because you were doing the No Name series. Yeah, we were doing the, uh, yeah, Alex, uh, I I created with Alex, but it was her brainchild all the way, uh, the Uptown Cabaret series. That was it. Uh, Yeah, and she knew you. Where did you know Alex from? I think I met Alex through Richard Binder. Oh, man, the other half of Binder Suits. Yes, because I went to college with Richard. Oh, wow. Okay, that's right. I, I forgot he went to Syracuse. Yeah. 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 He he was a freshman when I was a senior. Okay. Uh, but the reason we even spoke to each other, <laughs> him being a freshman and me being a senior, was uh, he was a piano player, and he played in the pit for, for a show that I was had a bit part in in mm-hmm. Syracuse. And he was great. And he, you know. Yeah, he eats the best. He sat down and would play all this Billy Joel stuff. And he's so funny. And yeah, I was going to say, be- between his musical knowledge and his sense of humor, y'all must have gotten along oh, like gangbusters. Oh, very well. Yes. I don't think I've ever used that phrase, by the way, like gangbusters. It felt a little awkward. <laughs> but, it uh, does now. But, <laughs> but we used to say things like that all the time. <laughs> Gang, gangbusters, milk toast, you know, like there's all there's this whole set of words that people don't use anymore. Gee, what does that mean? A, a few years ago, I, I briefly dated a woman who I, I, I jokingly referred to as a good egg, and she became very obsessed with, we need to bring that back, a good egg. A good egg. We, we don't date anymore. But <laughs> anyway. Because she was cracked. No, she... Uh, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of you know. I mean, although sometimes things come back, and I'd like to think that when I say "dig it," people think it's cool to say something like "dig it," you know, like people well, in the sixties. Well, by this point, they they're like they're not inundated with that. So it, it, dig it, like oh, that that's kind of cool and quirky. It so, is cool. So and you quirky. start, you get Thank in you. on the quirky, and if you can make it stick, it becomes cool. Yeah, and and you know, it's not like they don't have their things today that they say. So so uh, bring it back. So yeah, so. Alex, you, you know Alex, you know through yes. Richard Binder. And when we started that series, we, we it was originally a, a singer and composer's workout show. And after we'd done that, I think for about a year, you know, she was thinking of the people who were like dug in as composers and wanted to give them more time to show off. And so we added, as you know, because you were one of our earliest uh, guests, we started a monthly uh, composer spotlight. I could speak language enough to get through, but I, I know my accent showed. Um, but <laughs> I um, that's how I actually always describe myself in the, the storytelling world, but I'm, I'm starting to blend in a little more. Anyway, all of this to say, if memory serves, you did it twice, did you not? Yeah, I did it twice. It was at Indian Road Cafe, that yes. beautiful place. Um, I, don't, I, I honestly, I'm look, thinking back, and I remember one time there was no heat in the cafe, oh and I, I did it wearing my coat. <laughs> it you know was what? like it, March so- or something, and people were not even there. If they were there, they were leaving because why would you stay even if even if the music is fabulous? It's so funny because I, you know, I there were we we were there for four and a half years, but most of 
our experiences, at least in terms of dealing with the venue, were were positive ones. I had totally, I didn't even remember that. <laughs> and once you started talking about, because I remember, if I may be wrong, but the way I remember it, you went up to the piano wearing like mittens in your coat and may have taken them off because it's hard to play with mittens, but or, or gloves or whatever was going Obviously, on. Obviously, you didn't listen to me play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, but it was just, like, I totally forgot about that because I'm thinking it was, like, super cold out. Yeah. And and the the performance area was right inside the front door. Yes, So was. every time someone actually did come or, as you noted, left, uh, you get that Arctic blast, you know, right across the street from the park there. Yes, that gorgeous park. Um, and, Which is very near the water. Yes. And, uh, uh <laughs> I oh, my God. I, I, I'm not, by nature, a coffee drinker. I'm reasonably certain I had a coffee that night. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and and I actually have a picture somewhere, because, you know, this is the beginning of the mobile phones taking over the right. world. I think Alex took a picture and sent it to me of me in wearing the coat uh, on the on the piano, I'm, I know I I know I that sounds like me that I went up and took off my and like was like here's my gloves here's my hat I'm keeping the coat and the scarf you know um, <laughs> you know what if 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 you find that picture when when we release this episode you got to post it in yeah, conjunction with that I'll, I'll that would see be if awesome I can find it um, <laughs> so okay so you did our show and that's where the career took off I, that's the. You, Yes, the career took off, but I didn't take off the coat. No, I did it twice, and it was way uptown, and I didn't care though because you guys were so great, and oh, um, you. and I love that place. Yeah, and then I was I've been back and forth for the past um, ten years, except for of course the shit show, aka P Demi. Yeah, understood. So, well, well, all right, um, a few things I got to ask you about. Oh, crap. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I know that you at some point wound up working with Barbara Streisand. Can you tell me about that? Oh, my, yeah. It was one gig. It was, or was it? No, it was two gigs. Um, it was in 2000. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just yesterday, I got asked to be in a choir that was backing her up at First at the Democratic National Convention thing, she was supporting Al Gore, who, as we all know, won. Um, and <laughs> so I was in this choir that was backing her, and then for and then I think they used the same choir to then do her shows at the Staples Center, and it was not a very glam thing. But yes, I I was in a choir that backed her up, and some people in the choir were completely starstruck. It was a mix of pros and um, good amateurs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good amateurs were very uh, once they you know realized what they were doing, um, <laughs> any any sense of uh, propriety went out the window. And I remember I was at, at the Staples Center. We were walking to the the bathroom or something because we were kind of in a holding room, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we were walking to the bathroom and um, she came by on a a golf court cart type (laughs) thing, you know, like this is huge arena. (laughs) So they're like transporting her to the backstage area. I'm sorry. Can I just say I, that totally makes sense. It is absolutely logical, but there's something I find impossibly humorous about Barbara Streisand in a golf cart. Well, yeah, because, you know, she was doing the Yentl thing, like the, that last shot of her on the ship. That's the weird part is she was like, watch me fly, you know. No. Uh, um, so she's coming around, and the people I was walking with, these two women went, 
oh my God, no, 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 what do we do? And this was like, as she's you know, like rounding the corner and I said, salute. <laughs> Thank you for being the voice of reason. And um, and she was with, Barbara Streisand was in ear, within earshot of this at the, uh. at, at the time. And I said, you salute ladies, you know? And um, so I did, I did like a military <laughs> salute and they were like, what the fuck? And they like kind of half did. We're and, not with her. Yeah, exactly. And then, and because Barbara Streisand had overheard me say this, um, she kind of like looked at me with this kind of like, oh my God, these people. Like, <laughs> you know? And then she went by and that was it. Uh, so that was my major contact with Barbara Streisand. <laughs> You've also in, in, I was going to say in recent years, but I believe this would be pre pandemic recent years. Uh, the timeline's all fucked. We're doing an annual holiday show uh, in somehow co collaboration with Harry Shearer, right? Yeah. Um, strangely enough, I I got to and I got to meet the whole Spinal Tap crew. Oh, very cool. Um, they're amazing, silly, ridiculous people who I am privileged to know. And yeah, I I met Harry. It turns out he was a Bob's fan and had played. Uh, the Bob's on his podcast, Le Show. Oh, very nice. And um, I met him in 2005, him and his wife, Judith Owen, who is a force of nature and everyone should go see. Alex and I went to her concert the other night. Um, oh, nice. Uh, I met Harry Shearer in 2005 when they took their Christmas party, which is something they usually hold in their living room and have friends come up and perform. They took it to Disney Hall. Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles, and it was sold out. And one of the things that they had was an octet, an acapella octet that did kind of obscure carols, uh, a lot by Alfred Burt, not, not your normal arrangements. And some of the arrangements were by John Michael Higgins, who people might know from Pitch Perfect. And if you saw him, you'd go, oh, that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, he'd one of those people. Yeah, uh, absolutely amazing. And um, friends of mine who were more in the session world were ringers on this gig, and one, and they needed an alto. And apparently they, one of my friends who was on this gig as a bass said, well, you do know that Amy Bob lives in Los Angeles. And a report was that Harry and other people were like, oh, my God, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and so they hired me. My fellow alto was Catherine O'Hara, which was kind of amazing. Wow. And um, the, the gig was really fun. It was a killer group. One of the sopranos was Jane Lynch. In that particular one, Christopher Guest was not there, but he and Mike McKean were in subsequent shows that we did at Largo or the Coronet in Los Angeles. They're all benefits. Um, they hold these right. events, and they give all the profits to, um, to a local charity, which is one of the most wonderful things about it. Mm. Um, and it was it was super cool. And I got there and Harry sang some of the Bob's Christmas album back to me. And oh, um, nice. he was just so great. And he and his wife, Judith, and basically everyone I met because everyone that, that was in that circle was really lovely. And that is not necessarily the case with celebrities. Um, and being from New Jersey, I don't give a crap if someone's a celebrity, um, <laughs> I'm like, are you a good person? Are you a nice person? And, right. um, you know, it, you know, that aside. Um, so, so yeah, he, he was wonderful. She was wonderful. And, 
um, since they knew the Bobs and they knew me, eventually when they took the show on tour, we would see if it was possible for the Bobs to join. And um, it was for several years. Sometimes we would meet them in a city, you know, we so we we met them and did shows with them in LA, Seattle, Chicago, and I think we did one in New York. And then eventually, when I left the Bobs, um, they asked me to continue, um, just as me, since I was kind of writing all the stuff that we were doing uh. anyway. And I by that time I had become better friends with Judith, and they're just they're just phenomenal. And it was just so wonderful to join them um, for this for this charity event. Um, and uh, later on, I, I sang it, I sang back up in a concert that for one of his solo albums. And um, I, I was just thrilled. And like I said, they're wonderful people. Uh, it, it's one of the, the coolest things. They're, they released an album, an EP of the show called uh, Christmas Without Tears. Right. Um, or Does This Tree Make Me Look Fat? <laughs> And it, that was especially cool because I got to conduct a choir. Oh, uh, cool. They hired me to do that. Usually John Michael Higgins does, but they decided to do it in New York, and so I hired a choir. And um, and I got to do one of my own arrangements in the show, And you know, because I, of course, love to find obscure things. And that was wonderful. I think that was for World AIDS Day. They gave all the profits to Alton John's AIDS Foundation. It's super cool. We did a we did a filmed version during the pandemic, and you can get the album. And there's only six or seven tracks on that album, and they're all people like Jane Lynch, Harry, the late Fred Willard did a track where it's ridiculous, Catherine O'Hara, and me. I'm like the celebrity, as I call myself, <laughs> on the. On I want to ask you, uh, you you made reference to Bastard Jones, and and I. Heard about that, and I probably knew you or had met you at least at, at that time, but I did not know that that was your your thing. Uh, tell our audience what this was. Bastard Jones uh, is a rock musical comedy adaptation of Henry Fielding's book, Brit Lit classic from the 1700s. Uh, a History of Tom Jones, a foundling. And Mark Aceto brought the project to me, lyricist uh, and librettist Mark Aceto and playwright. And um, it's it, it had its off-Broadway debut at The Cell on 23rd between 8th and 9th in 2017. And it is a really fun kind of rollicking madcap farce that is also a musical. And the upshot of Bastard Jones and of, of Tom Jones, the book, is that no one should be denied the pursuit of happiness based on their birth circumstances. And of course, that's an issue that is timeless. And in 1749, the issue, the discrimination issue was because Tom Jones was born a bastard and that was enough in rural England. And now if you substitute any marginalized group for the word bastard, you have the same situation. Um, so that was our take on it, and that Tom Jones was basically a, an electric guitar in a harpsichord world. And so I wrote a rock score that the lyrics kind of rode the line between period and contemporary, but there were no anachronisms except 
the sound of the score. And um, Mark is a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. And we co-wrote the lyrics. He's one of the funniest people in the world, on the planet. And we kind of shared a brain in terms of the style of the show, which is so much a hybrid. We're the kind of people who one one day will go to see a restoration comedy because we're classical theater nuts. <laughs> and then the next day we could watch a Muppets marathon because we're both... Ooh, Muppets. We're, yes, exactly. We're both Muppet show brain people, grew up on Sesame Street Electric Company. So it's literally like Moliere meets vaudeville meets um, our brains. And we were Richard Rogers finalists. We were O'Neill finalists twice um, with this show. And people, and that's one of the reasons I moved here. We, we had a bunch of development offers we had turned down. And then finally, when um, He Who Shall Not Be Named got elected, um, we we just, that was it. We took matters into our own hands. We funded the production and we raised $162,000 to do it. It was an all-equity production for a limited run at The Cell. And The Cell was a wonderful partner in crime for this. Mm-hmm. They were so, they were such an in, incredible um, host organization. Um, that's a, like, really alien, so I had to say it that way. And they agreed with us that the mission of the show and the upshot of the show was so important that we donated the entire box office to Cindy Lauper's True Colors Fund, which oh, nice. supports homeless LGBTQ youth. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was amazing. It was a it was just, it was sold out. It was everything we hoped it would be. Gosh, we got five pages of pull quotes from it. Um, our cast, our nine person cast, was a dream. We were at, in 2017 committed to the idea of inclusivity and basically demanded that the entire cast be representative of of what America looks like, which is. A, a mix of races, ages, backgrounds, orientations. 20% of America has a disability. Um, so we, our lead was an amputee. Uh, we also had a legally blind person in the cast. These are not- Yay! Yes, we did. Uh, Allie, Allie Gorey is her name. And yes, that is her name, Allie B. Gorey. And she is legally blind. And she later went on to found a, uh, a host of organizations that are devoted to visibility and support for disabled performers. Um, but yeah, we, this was literally our mission and our creed. And we did it. And that's when we became even more aware of the roadblocks that faced performers who were not, you know, white, uh, just frankly white. And yeah. we held an, we did an, we did an EPA audition. Um, and that's where most of our people came from. Um, because we, we kind of looked around and went, Hey, you know, if we wanted to cast this out of people we know and people we've worked with, it'd probably be all white people. And that's horrible. So, and I insisted on gender parity in the band, as well as racial parity. And it was amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to walk the walk. Yeah. And yeah. and we were happy to do so. And, oh, my God, the, the, the people that, that we cast 
were breathtaking, every single one of them. And um, they really did what we wanted. And of course, the, the message of Bastard Jones, that had nothing to do with who we cast. You know, we it's not the, the characters who are who are either have, you know, one leg or whatever. Um, it's, it's the people portraying them. It's, it's just the actor and you just make accommodations and you, why would you not? You know, it's like, that's not the point. The point is you're both making the point by making the point, you know, and there's nothing that says that Tom Jones has, has one leg. It doesn't matter. Um, You know, and, and when both of them came in, we said, tell us what you can do. Tell us what, where the line is. Tell us what makes you uncomfortable. Tell us where you need our help. Tell us when, you know, and that's that. I mean, it's not so hard. <laughs> you know, uh, they were amazing. And um, Did you say amazing? Yeah. Okay, check in. But no, they were amazing. I'm not <laughs> saying, <laughs> hello. Um, but you, thank you, you for calling me on that. <laughs> um, and, you didn't say it that way. You're okay. Oh, yeah. You know, it... It was it was kind of perfect, and we formed a wonderful family community. And Ellie Wang, who was Leia Salonga's understudy in um, Allegiance, she said um, she's Chinese, and she was our ingenue. And at one point, she posted on Facebook something about being thrilled to not have to think about the fact that she was Chinese. In a play, she can yeah. just be herself, and it's not because it's not part of the story. It's not you know playing something that that isn't about your ethnicity mm. or about your. And to me, I mean, yes, I am a a, a white woman, but I am over forty. Um, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Um, you know, saying this, but that's to me what what parody is that's what inclusivity is is when these things are not a factor yeah and they're not except to make sure that they're part of what you're doing i think about all the people that i know and it certainly doesn't define them it describes them you know yeah yeah yeah. um which is some something i've been very uh very it's a phrase I, I started using is, are you this? Yes, but that's not what I am. It's a thing I am. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of it is how do you, how do you think, how do you think of yourself, but how is different than how the world necessarily thinks of exactly. you, or the world has been taught to think of you is what I usually say. And, um, you know, I think the, those of us who are freak towns who, grew up as freak towns for whatever reason, I think that resonates with us even even more because we know what it's like to be the outsider. And, you know, theater is about outsiders. That's what half the dramas and musicals are about. It's about people who are struggling with something and are and don't don't fit in or don't feel um, feel like they're part of it. And you you'd think that that would inform um, <laughs> choices, um, well, but see, it doesn't you, necessarily. You're applying logic again. That'll get you I know. nowhere. I know. I know. It's crazy. Well, let me ask you this. With, with Bastard Jones, um, it seems to me like now would be a really good time for a revival of Bastard Jones. Is is there any chance we might see it again? How much you got? Uh, I get five bucks on me now. Um, I, I 
Could That's, definitely hit an ATM and give you at least 100 more. Okay. That is literally the reason that that it hasn't moved ahead. All right, we, let's, put, let's put it out there in the universe because I think this show needs to be seen. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a movie version. We mm-hmm. have a script now that functions as both um, a, a new rewrite. We have a new framing device for it. Um, and also a movie version. I, I don't. I don't know. Moving forward, we we definitely, we definitely did need to to tweak some things uh, for ourselves. Yeah. Um. Even though it was kind of spectacular, but but it's sad to think that that it's always a message that we need to hear. But it is a message we need Absolutely. to hear. And we all know that art and music are are probably the best ways to deal with social issues and especially comedy because you know like I said about theater if it's in your blood that's who you are and I'm a total I mean I am an east coaster I am a New York New Jersey person I have a lot of issues with Los Angeles um but this um this is me this is this is where I thrive. I literally get off the plane and say, "Oh, thank God, um this kind of energy this is you know you vibrate at a certain frequency, and this is the frequency I vibrate at i I you know complaining about the weather, the subways or whatever that's that's just what you do um but i I miss it, and i the crispness of it I miss, and this is increasingly where I need to be to do what I do and be around the people who do what I do. I, I also have a project that started in 2019 that has put me here more often. Um, I have a longstanding relationship with The Cell now. Um, yeah. I absolutely love them. Uh, I can't say enough about... Now you have to listen to this, guys. Um, <laughs> I can't say enough about Nancy Manocherry and Kira Simring, Brian Rieger, and Jonah Levy, who are the core team at The Cell, and their support for people who want to do unusual things. And they... Uh, they granted me an artist residency to develop the project I just took the to the Edinburgh Festival, which is called Impact. It's a it's a one me show, which I never thought I would say. Um, I didn't actually want to do it, but I was compelled to do it because I don't do theater or scripted theater anymore. It's a storytelling piece, though. It's really not acting. Um, it has five songs in it that uh, I wrote, and I have a band of a cellist and a percussionist, and I play keyboards and sing. It's not a musical. It is, a, a like I said, a storytelling piece. There's projections and videos, and, and it's uh, about what we can all do for each other in the wake of tragedy. Um, not a comedy, which is crazy for, you know, if you'd told me I was, I was going to do a one-me show, that is not a comedy, and that project would have legs, I would have asked you what you were smoking. Um, <laughs> but it's it's kind of amazing, and I'm, I'm hoping to bring it back to New York in the form of a run. Uh, I'm applying to the Tank and a bunch of other festivals. Um, I've only done readings of it in New York mm. at the cell, and, and I, I did one performance of it at the... Um, at the Emerging Artists Theater New Works Festival last year. Mm-hmm. And then I did a couple of, of runs up at Bethany Arts in Ossining and one in Ventura, California. And I did a festival in North Carolina before taking it to Edinburgh. Um, it's about Scotland, so uh, it was particularly um, it was particularly epic 
Yeah, um, it was it was very serious. And actually, Richard Binder, who we were just talking about, has a connection to it as well. Um, and um, boy, it was an amazing thing. And I'm I'm trying to set up um, for next year uh, a tour. I'd like to take it to parts of the UK that um, may, maybe small places. I'm looking for um, support, and there's companies that do that. I'm talking to people who've done it. Um, because I've done things like rural touring and bringing, you know, music to underserved communities. So I think it would be an amazing thing to tour that because um, we're all connected. And that's really the message is there are no coincidences, only connections. And boy, did this, boy, did this cement that. And um, I did two shows in Los Angeles when I brought it back. I crowdfunded to, to go to, the, to Edinburgh raised 33 grand and um i'm hoping to bring it back to new york a lot of the people on the plane the americans were from new york and new jersey mm -hmm. um, but it's really about anyone who's gone through any kind of tragedy because unfortunately today everyone is someone knows someone or knows someone who knows someone who has and the best thing we can do is show up for each other yeah well okay so we've got I, and I, I hope to be in the audience at some performance of this. I hope you are too. So, so look, uh, you obviously you're working on that. You talked about what you're you're exploring with Bastard Jones uh, and the climate change musical. And you know what what's ahead? Is that is that pretty much it? You know, at the moment, um, I'm looking for workshops for two pieces, and I'm looking to do Impact again. Um, I'm going to Europe next month. Um, my husband is doing a residency in Iceland uh, that I did actually in February to do all the charts for Impact, do all, write all the, the instrumental charts. And, um, and I'm going to go visit him. And while I'm there, I'm going to record some stuff um, for a, a third EP that was supposed to happen during the pandemic. Uh, and I chopped it into EPs. And... Um, and who knows what the new year is going to bring. Um, I'm very excited to pursue these projects. I will be back in New York for a lot. And if anyone wants to find out what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. Oh, thank you. I usually have to say that line. Now I'm just going to sit back and listen. <laughs> shut up, Eric. Let her give the plug. <laughs> you can find me at, and this took me a long time to come up with this name, www.amyenglehart.com. Um <laughs> Oh, I, I, I hope you paid your, your staff of writers well for that. I was in this town in Scotland called, I kid you not, Sea Houses. It's on the coast. And I thought, I hope they didn't pay anyone to name this freaking town. Because come on, people. Come on, people. God, people, we've been working around the clock for the last three weeks and uh, finally beginning to bear fruit. We've come up with this. See if this works for you. Sea houses. Yeah. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. I'm going to go back home and get, yes. get here's, some good sleep Here's now. my I invoice. Sleep. Here's my invoice. Um, should you need a dose, a healthy dose of the obvious in the future. Um, yeah. So amyenglehart.com. And um, when you get to any choice in my name, how to spell it, it's everything you think it is. In alphabetical order. E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T. Thank you. All right. That, that's Try beautiful. to be. And you know what? It, it, 
thank you for coming to play with us. And I have to say, it was amazing. Oh my God, it was amazing. Or they, in Scotland, they say, amazing. <laughs> wow, I think that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, man, with that fun, I had fun. I hope you had fun. Amy Engelhart, check her out. Go, 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 go wherever you can find her music and go. Check it out. Support. Listen online. Whatever you got to do, do it. Do it now. Uh, So thanks to Amy Engelhart. Uh, Thanks to our amazing crew, cast, everybody, Uh, our producer, the one and only, the Grand Pooh by himself, Gary Hardcastle. Uh, our assistant sound engineer, Miles Makes Appeal Blue Spruce. Our interns, our PAs, we got PAs. That would be Stanley Recio and Jeremy Pueo. The music you hear at the top and the bottom of the show, the instrumental stuff that is, uh, is written and performed by one and only King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. As always, we'd like to leave you with a little bit of music, and today, what better music to leave you with than some music from Amy Engelhart? She talked about it in 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 the in the conversation. She mentioned, uh, I, you know, what I, I'm I'm going to take a chance. I I I'm, I believe this is from the show she put together uh, called Bastard Jones. Uh, the song, it's a wonderful song. It's called Pursuit of Happiness. We hope you guys all all are happy in your pursuit of whatever you're pursuing. Anyways, thanks for spending time with us. Until next time, my name is Eric Vetter. I love you all. Juicy peaches fall from trees about to burst. Flowers beckon to the bees to quench their thirst Passion pulses through my blood Rapture rushes like a flood I'm inside and I just ride The pursuit of happiness Is a natural right The pursuit of happiness Is morning, noon, and night Oh, happiness, oh, good and blaze I'll always eat Show me a babe who isn't sweet The road on a bed, I'm on my feet For happiness Ooh. <sighs> Lightning bears electric force from Kai to key. I'm like thunder on a horse that's wild and free Let's surrender to the surge Let's attend to every urge As we lavender What's life about? The pursuit of happiness Is a natural right The pursuit of happiness Morning, noon, and night Cause happiness is that Drink until I spew Plenty for me and more for you Happiness Yeah There's so much joy And so 
this, like this, and this, and this. 